Good morning, Christ community. My name is Chris Blackman. I'm one of our pastoral interns, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be continuing our Advent series this year in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in continuing our Advent series, in this passage we're looking at the birth of Jesus, right? One of the most famous stories in the Bible and really forms the basis of our Christmas story. And any time... In any part of the Bible, you see a story of a miraculous birth, right? That the Holy Spirit is is trying to like flash red lights at us saying, pay attention. Something very important is happening in redemption history, right? God is sending someone to further his plan to save his people, right? We saw that all the way back with Abraham and Sarah, right? They were too old to have children and God blessed them with Isaac, In the book of Judges, we see that Samson's parents were not able to conceive, and the Lord blessed them with Samson. Later on, uh, Hannah and her prayer, asking God for a child, and he blesses her with Samuel. And then even in Luke's gospel, it tells us about John the Baptist, Jesus' own cousin, right, being born somewhat miraculously. But all of those stories, right, uh, while sharing this similar theme, Eventually, it was God working through ordinary means to bring about these, uh, these births. And yet here in the story of Jesus, we see the most amazing, the most miraculous birth of them all. One that is not from the will of a husband or a wife, but purely from God bringing it about through the Holy Spirit. And so the key truth I want us to hold on today as we study God bringing about the birth of Jesus is that God's plan to bring new life to the world begins with Jesus the Messiah saving his people from their sins. So continuing on that theme of of God bringing a new beginning through his son Jesus, right? let me ask you this question. What would a new beginning look like in your life? Uh, I don't know if you've seen the joke before, of uh, people saying like, oh, anytime it seems like someone wants to start over and uh, start a new life, they sell everything and move to Atlanta, right? Maybe you've heard friends like joke about this. They're threatening to move to Atlanta 
for some reason, Atlanta has become uh, kind of this catchphrase for like starting over. You can start afresh. For many of us, maybe that, that's what we think of when it comes to a new beginning. It's moving to a new place, right, where no one knows you and, uh, you know, you can start over with a new reputation. You can make a new first impression. Or maybe it's just getting away from a lot of the struggles and trials or the people you were around in previous seasons of your life. But we see that God's message to his people is that his new beginning comes through his son Jesus. And we're going to see this new life and this new beginning really in two phases. The first is how Jesus saves us from our sins. And the second is that Jesus is with us for all eternity. So let's look at this first part. Jesus saves us from our sins. Look again uh, at verses 18 through 21. It says, The birth of Jesus took place in this way. Matthew really uh, loves playing with the language here. You know, last week we talked about how the, the first word in the original language that uh, Matthew's gospel is written in is actually the word Genesis. Well, he actually repeats that again here. Verse 18, the first word in our English, it's uh, birth, right? But in the, the original Greek, it's the word Genesis. That Matthew is furthering this theme of God's new creation, his recreation, his new Genesis starting here with Jesus Christ. And, you know, if we think about it, like God's plan to bring new life to the world, I mean, what better way to start than with the story of a birth, right? This very tangible example of what it means to bring about new life. We see that Jesus ultimately is calling us, right, to take part in this new life. And Matthew writes about the birth of Jesus as almost a, like a picture of what that looks like to God, for God to bring about new life within someone. The birth of Jesus takes place, in this, takes place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. You know, if uh, we go on here, you'd probably be somewhat shocked in this passage to realize that our Christmas story, you know, the maybe nativity that you saw or took part in when you were young, seems so kind of innocent and almost childlike. Uh, our, our real Christmas tour in the Bible is full of issues like, uh, you know, an unwed mother becoming pregnant, um, a marriage maybe about to fall apart, Joseph wondering if he needs to divorce Mary, and the issue of will Joseph truly adopt this child Jesus as his own. He didn't realize that the Christmas story had, you know, uh, unexpected pregnancy, divorce, and adoption all in uh, this section of the Bible. And yet it's there. It's, it's dealing with very real people. Can you imagine Mary, this young woman, being told by God, right, that she's, she's with child even though, uh, you know, she was a virgin. She had never been with a man, right, that the Holy Spirit was going to do something great through her in this way. Or what about Joseph, who Matthew seems to focus more of his attention on? I mean, put yourself in his place. And, you know, the Bible tells us Joseph was a, a just man. In some translations, it even says righteous or godly. Right? He seemed to have been a good and godly man who was doing everything right. He was obeying God. He was following his law. Right? He was engaged uh, to marry, hoping, you know, this new beginning of his life would start 
uh, as a young, newly married couple. And yet we see that God had a totally different plan for their new beginning. It wasn't just a new beginning uh, for them in their life, you know, maybe get married, get a good job, you know, save up enough, build your own home, all the dreams that we tend to have. But God says, I have an even bigger vision for you. I have an even greater new beginning that I want to do through you. And so Joseph, when he finds out that Mary is pregnant, he considers to divorce her quietly, right? Because he didn't want to put her to shame. We see that Joseph, once again, is trying to be a good and godly man here. He knows uh, that, you know, if Mary is pregnant and it's not from him, then uh, maybe their marriage needs to be called off. But he doesn't want her, uh, you know, I think as Nancy Guthrie said, notoriously posted uh, in the newspapers uh, as an ungodly woman. He doesn't want to shame her. So he tries to take care of this quietly, to try to preserve her dignity in some way. He's doing everything right. But God still comes to him and says, look, even when you're doing everything right, I can still have a totally different plan. Right? The angel appears to him in a dream, says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We see here the angel is telling Joseph, look, I am bringing about new life in Mary out of nothing, right? I am bringing new life in her, and it's directly from God, right? Mary hasn't sinned, and that's the reason why she's pregnant. No, God is doing something special here. And Joseph, God wants you to take part in it as well. It may not fit according to your nice, tidy plans for life, but God still wants to do something great through you if you will hear his word and obey. And here we're told what Jesus really came to do, that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And man, what a, what a humbling thing to hear, right? Imagine being Joseph and Mary and hearing an angel of the Lord tell you, your child is going to save God's people from their sins. Guess what, Joseph and Mary? That includes you. That Joseph and Mary both needed the salvation that Jesus was going to bring. That while Joseph was a good and godly man and Mary seemed to have been a good and godly woman, right, that they too were only saved by grace, brought through their own son, Jesus. Right, that we too, uh, maybe who have grown up in church, who have done everything right, right, who have sought to follow the Lord faithfully, just because maybe we don't have a, a wild past, we still are saved only by grace. That we too need Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. Right? That, that Jesus really confronts our idea of what it means to be a Messiah, to be a Savior. So let me ask you this question. What kind of Messiah are you really hoping for? Is it a political Messiah? Is it a therapeutic one? We all come to Jesus often with our own conception of what we want him to be and what we want him to do for us, right? That we, uh, probably the Jews at the time, they were really expecting a Messiah that was going to save them from the Romans, right? Remove their oppressors and set them free to have a nation state again. Maybe many of us want Jesus to come in our life and just make us feel better, right? We're 
filled with anxieties and worries, and we just want him to take those away. And if he could just do that, that would be the Messiah that we would really want. And we see in this election season how uh, easily we're drawn into political candidates selling themselves as a Messiah, right? I will fix it all for you. If you just vote for me, everything will be made right. Oh, how wrong our hearts truly are in yearning for messiahs that cannot truly save us from our greatest need. And that's the real truth of what Jesus came to do, right? He came to save us from our sins. That there's no new life in God without Jesus first dealing with the issue of sin. Paul tells us very clearly, right, in Romans that the wages of sin is death. That sin leads to death. And if we want new life, then Jesus has got to save us from what leads to death. We see that even Joseph and Mary needed to be saved from our sins, and that even we too, those who have grown up in the church, uh, need to be saved from our sins. We are not above the salvation that Jesus brings. We are just as needy for it every day. I love the way... um, Frederick Dale Bruner talks about this in his commentary on Matthew. He says this, The expression is so familiar to us that we must see how contrary it was and still is to popular messianic expectations. A Messiah who came now and did not at least deliver the people politically from their enemies and from their enemies' sins could hardly be considered a serious or full-blooded Messiah. But Jesus' work in this gospel is, first of all, to liberate his people from their own evils. Jesus concentrates the fire of almost his entire gospel on his church's sin. This gospel teaches a profound self-criticism. It rarely permits God's people to descend to the cheaper, easier, and seemingly more effective demonizing of external enemies. Those those are cutting words, and yet so true. Man, I can't tell you how often I find myself thinking through how everyone else is the problem. Can't tell you how many times I think, people have done me wrong, and if they would just repent, if God would just deal with them, right, then all my problems would go away, that my life would get easier people would just tidy up their lives, then everything would be okay. Jesus is saying, look, I didn't come to bring you a tidy life. I came to save you from your sins. Right? I didn't come to fulfill your plan and your dreams. No, I came to fulfill God's plan and God's vision for you to have new life. What a beautiful but sobering truth that we only get to new life through Jesus saving us from our sins. And I love the angel here says, like, Joseph, you're going to call his name Jesus. Uh, And there's some somewhat complex kind of language things going on here, but it comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, right? Which in Hebrew means Yahweh saves. It's kind of an abbreviation of those words. And uh, one commentator very interestingly made the connection that we have some records that Uh, the name like Yeshua uh, was actually something that pregnant women would say when they were giving birth, 
Right, Matt? You know, any women here, I'm sure, could relate of when you're giving birth and uh, the, the pain is great and you're crying out to God for strength to get through this. So literally, they're crying out to God uh, in this process of giving birth. You know, God, help! God, save me! And that's the name that is given to the Son of God who's going to save us. His name is Jesus, right? Such a perfect name for what he's truly doing. And the book of Romans touches on this so well in Romans chapter 8, this connection of almost the, the pains of childbirth and yet the new life that God is going to bring through his son. It says in chapter 8, starting in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And Paul is telling the church there, all of creation is groaning <laughs> as if in the pains of childbirth, waiting for God to set all things right, for God to bring about this new life through us. And here we see almost the, the first and most important step here, that Jesus brought new life out of Mary and into the world, that Jesus saves us from our sins to bring about the process of new life inside of us. So we see first that Jesus came to save us from our sins. But now we want to look at how uh, Jesus is going to dwell with his people, to be with his people for all eternity. Look again here at verses 22 through 25. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We see here that Matthew is making almost this obvious connection in the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah, that God was going to send a Savior right through a virgin birth, and that, that Savior is actually going to be God himself. It's not just another man, right, like Samson or someone like that, or Isaac, you know, the child of promise. No, this is actually like fully God and fully man who's going to be with his people for all eternity. Remember last week when we talked about the, the covenant promise to David that uh, a descendant of his would sit on the throne forever, right? That the promise of God is that he wants to be with his people. Remember, that was the great heartbreak of the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, right, they, they died spiritually, but then also they had to be separated from God physically, right? They couldn't be in His presence. They had to be kicked out of the Garden. And really the message of the whole Bible is God wanting to be together with His people again. And so here in Jesus Christ, God is bringing about new life in His people. And the first step, right, is to save them from their sins, to break down the dividing wall between God and man, to open the way back up into that garden space. And now that it's been opened up because Jesus has saved us from our sins, 
God can now dwell with his people. He can be with them. What an encouraging word. Think about this question. How does the name Emmanuel, God with us, give you hope about your current circumstances? Right? That God has not abandoned his people. That God's plan is not to you know, be way up there and hopefully we'll figure it out along the way. No, God's plan is to save them and to be with them, to dwell with his people, to dwell in their hearts. That Jesus is with all of his disciples then and today through the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Right? That God is not distant from you at any point in your life, although at times we may feel like he is far from us. And think about what an encouragement it is that God is with us in all moments, both the joys and the sorrows. You know, think of this kind of famous African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Right? That God is saying, look, I want to be with my people so that we can go together to, to the distances that I want to take them. God wants to spread his kingdom all over the earth. And here he's saying, and I'm going to be with you when you do that. That I will never leave you or forsake you. We see that the new life that God brings in us as he dwells with us should ultimately lead us to new obedience. Joseph, after hearing an angel of the Lord come to him and preach the gospel, right? That Jesus is going to save you from your sins. He's going to be God with his people. Joseph wakes up from his dream, and does he divorce Mary and run off? No. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And when God entered into Joseph's life with his different plan, his better plan, Joseph heard the gospel and responded with obedience. And he realized, if God is with me, Right, then I can obey even in this completely different plan that God has for us. In this completely different plan that maybe would cause us to face uh, you know, social pressures. Right? That people maybe would ask, Joseph, why would you take on Mary, right? who is pregnant from, it seems like, someone else? Joseph, why would you accept the, the shame that might come from that? Why would you adopt this child which is not your own and treat him as a son and raise him up? Joseph's answer, I'm sure, was because God told me to. Because God had a better plan. Right? Because God is redeeming his people, saving them from their sins. And that this child is the one who's going to bring all that about. He's going to bring new life in each and every one of us. Man, I wish... Uh, we had more time because, you know, just the idea of God coming in the flesh. I mean, we could spend weeks and weeks talking about the implications of that. But just, just for a moment, think of the affirmation that is of humanity. Right? That God, yes, he's saving us from our sins, which is a spiritual condition. But God comes in the flesh. That God cares about our souls and our bodies because they're not separate things. No, our souls and our bodies are one. Right? It's not an either or, it's a both and. That God is saving us from our sins and he's ultimately going to bring about the resurrection of physical life into glorified bodies. His plan isn't for us to you know, float around like ghosts wishing we could go back and change things. 
No, God's plan is to change things and create a new heavens and a new earth. I mean, what an affirmation of, you know, real physical life. What an affirmation in this passage of unexpected pregnancies. What an affirmation of humanity, right? That God would come and take on flesh and experience the dirtiness and the messiness of this world. What an affirmation of little babies that the Almighty God would come down and be a child. What an affirmation of fatherhood, right? And of blended and mixed families that Joseph would be called to adopt this own Savior as his son and raise him. All right, what an affirmation of the uncommon family that God is building in his church. Right, that we come from all different backgrounds. Some of us, like last week we looked at, our, you know, grew up never hearing the gospel. Right, far away and the Lord came to us and brought us radically out of a former life. And others of us, maybe like Joseph, we've grown up in the church, right? We've heard the gospel since the day we were born. We've done everything right. And yet God is building this uncommon family out of his better plan for us, in which he gets all the glory because we've all been saved from our sins. God is with us in the flesh and God cares about us in all of our very physical needs as well as spiritual. Here once more from uh, Frederick Bruner's commentary on Matthew, which is just wonderful by the way. <laughs> he says, the glory of the New Testament revelation is that the great above us God came down and became one of us. The gospel's God is so great that he can come down. Indeed, God's love is so evident and so entire that he wants to come down. And to the satisfaction of believers, God has proven his love by the record that he did come down and touch our ground. The greatness of the gospel's God, in short, is that this God not only sends, but he comes. Christmas is the story of God's becoming one of us. God literally belittled himself in order to accommodate himself to us. Amen that that is the case, that we could never go up to God, but that God would come down and be with us. Matthew's gospel closes really on this same theme. If you have a Bible and you want to flip over to the very last verses of Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascends up to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down to be with them. He tells them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That the Emmanuel God, the God with you, is with us, with his church, not for a short time, but till the end of time. God is with us at all times. So in conclusion, Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 teaches us that God's plan to bring new life starts with Jesus saving us from our sins, and that God's plan to be with his people is fulfilled in Jesus, the Emmanuel. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for 
the good news that Jesus came to save us from our sins. Lord, that even if we've grown up as uh, godly men and women of integrity, or whether we've lived very pagan lives before, we all need that same salvation from sin. We are all saved by the same grace. Jesus, we thank you that you are not the Messiah that we think we need, but you are the Messiah that you know we need. And that you're not going to go away, but that you are with us even now in our trials, in our tribulations, as well as our joys. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us, that you are present here as we worship you, that you are present with us as we go about our work. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.